Hey guys, and welcome to the first real episode of Is It My Turn? We're kicking off our series with Azul, an abstract tile-laying strategy game developed by Plan B Games. In Azul, each player has their own board and take turns collecting tiles of matching colour to create sets in pattern lines. When there are no more tiles available to collect, players move tiles from completed pattern lines to their wall and score points for the round. Points are awarded based on the number of other tiles already on the wall in the same row and column as each new tile. The game continues until the end of the wall tiling phase in which a player completes at least one horizontal row of tiles. There are two variants to the player board and our panel have all played the design your own wall variant on the flip side of the board, but our discussion today will most likely be focused around the standard version. And it's also probably worth noting that most of the games that we've played were in a three player configuration. Now I am here with the regular panel, given that it's only the first episode, uh, Alice, Hello. And Nick. Hi there. Guys, Azul, fun? Well, I mean, it's kind of fun, except I'm the guy who got his ass kicked all day. So, <laughs> But um, I don't know, everyone else seemed to be having a good time while we were playing. Uh, so let's get into the design. So Nick, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, look, I, I uh, really appreciate the design of Azul, or at least I've come to appreciate it, I think. It's an insanely dynamic game, and I feel like it unfolds quite neatly through repeated play. We'll probably discuss that more in the tactics section, I think. But uh, I think it's a game that's got... The design has great interaction, not only with each other, with the other players, but also through the kind of central pool of tiles and the factories. Uh, there's lots and lots of questions, the, the, the kind of individual decision space of each individual turn is really there's lots and lots and lots of depth um yeah look i i think ultimately what i find most interesting about the design is it it it, it doesn't it's not what it looks like at first right like I, it feels to me like it's an insanely cutthroat game of deception masquerading as a rather pleasant set collection game <laughs> so you know i think we, when we started playing i think alice especially you i think uh were kind of excited by the patternness of it and i quite enjoyed it too but it didn't turn out to be like that i don't think no it, it is really interesting that um it it does look like quite a simple game and actually it when you first start to play it it looks like the design is more limited than it actually is like mm. that actually the gameplay will be more limited and more restricted and have less replayability than it actually turns out to mm. have so i think one of the things that we've found as we've played it and as we've become more comfortable with the base mechanics mm. that tactics and strategy become more and more and more complex as you play it more and more and more and that in actual fact there are almost levels on which you can play it there is that base set collection tile laying pattern level mm. and then there's almost this level floating above which is about 
when you play, how you play, which type of points you're going for, mm. how you limit what the person downstream of you can and can't do. Um, so I think and, – and it's hard to know how much of that was intended by the designers. I think that's a really interesting question because it feels to me – and, look, I might be wrong. I haven't done any legwork on the designer – but um, it feels to me like a first or second design, like uh, as in a kind of first or second successful design. There's something about the game in a design space that doesn't quite hang together for me. And I can't put my finger on what it is. And that doesn't, I mean, I think it's a great game, so this shouldn't detract from that. But we've talked about this a little bit while we were playing. For me, the weirdest aspect of this game is even though it's really a thinly cloaked, thinly veiled, abstract Euro game, essentially, um, you can't check the scores. It's not possible. If you bump the table halfway through the game, you can't then reconfigure the scores because every tile that's placed is placed at a moment in time in the game and it scores according to what else is on the table at that moment in time. So something about that feels to me like, I, I can't quite explain it, but it just feels like the game doesn't, for that reason, in a design sense, the game doesn't quite hang together because you've got this feeling of the Euro and then you've got this weird scoring system that that actually is very fragile. It's one table bump away from from just being... Um, it's entirely contingent. Entirely contingent. Yeah. <laughs> very very prone to, to a good old-fashioned uh, table flip. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah look, I... I it does feel like there's something not quite, not quite as polished. And I mm. think, again, we touched on it and, and not going to go into it in detail here, but um, the the second Azul, mm. Sintra, feels like it's just had that little bit more of a polish. Just right? slightly longer in the oven. Yeah. Um, I, I, in terms of the design of this, the, the mechanics of it, for me, like aside from that scoring, the mechanics of it just flows almost really effortlessly, mm. and especially in that that standard side of the board, that mm. standard variant where the pattern is already set out for you, that the mechanic of picking which which tiles I want to play in and which of the uh, pattern sets, pattern rows I want to be playing in. And following, and obviously following, then that cycle around just as a really elegant. Uh, I mean, you know, we've talked about this word elegant. It is beautifully simple, mm. yeah. Uh, and something that again we'll we'll probably talk about shortly is in that little simple, elegant mechanic, the impact on strategy, how you are affected by the player upstream mm. of you and how your choice is now going to reflect the player downstream of you. Yeah. I love that little element of it. And this is where I think we have all discovered that far more cutthroat nature, mm. that far more brutal game than we actually thought Azul was ever going to be. Yeah. yeah. yeah? Um, that, I think important about that cutthroatness of it, that it's taken us a while to realise that that cutthroat element that's baked into the design. It's not in the rule book. It doesn't emerge in your first couple of games. But if you're not working in a, in a turn order, if you're not watching what the other players are doing, you will lose um, because someone else will run away with it. I mean, that game we played a few weeks ago where, um, where 
I was watching your, you were upstream of me and I was watching your game to make my decisions, which is the wrong move. And Alice was watching her board, which was also the wrong move. And you were just, you were unleashed at that point. You could do whatever the hell you wanted because Alice was playing one game, you were playing another game and I was just following you. So I was never going to win. And Alice could have won if the chips had fallen her way, but you were actively playing the middle of the board. So I think it's baked in in a way that, yeah, I think really surprised us. And yeah, I don't know, for me... For me, that kind of design the the design of the game is clever because it allows for this insane amount of interaction, even if I feel like the scoring system is maybe a little clumsy. Yeah, um, I guess probably my only last comment on on this particular facet when we're talking about design, um, I think the uh, thematically. So we, we, we talk about being an abstract strategy, but the, the, obviously it's got a theme to it in this notion of tiles and tile building, mm. you know, mm. king of Portugal. Yeah, mosaics. Yeah, <laughs> mosaics. Um, and, and as people probably would have heard in the previews, we usually like themes that hang well off the rules, mm. yeah? This was just a... I think this was an instance where there wasn't, there wasn't an immediate connect between mm. them but that wasn't an automatic problem. In this instance, the theme was a vehicle mm. for the mechanic rather than directly driving the mechanic, if yeah. that makes sense. The theme, I think, is actually much more related to the aesthetics of the game yeah. than to the mechanics of yes, the game. Absolutely. Um, so the theme allows this game to be beautiful, um, whereas it could have been like the world's most boring game to look at. Mm, mm. So you you could you could have this game in you know five primary colors of tiles yeah. on a board with a grid and yeah. it would it would you would really lose something of the yeah. interest of it because it is beautiful and we'll obviously talk about that in aesthetics but I think that's actually where the theme comes in yeah. is the theme has driven the aesthetics and the aesthetics is actually a fundamental part of the appeal of this game, in my opinion. So moving on to balance, what did we think, Alice? Um, I think that whilst overall this game is quite balanced, and, and that's a, obviously a tricky word, but I think that actually what significantly unbalances this game is something that Nick brought up uh, in the previous section where we were talking about the design and that is exactly what happened when we played when Malcolm had figured out how important player position is and how much you need to pay attention to what the player downstream Mm. of you is doing in order to control which tiles they can and can't take Um, If you have one player doing that and the other two players don't, that unbalances the game. Yeah. Because it is such an advantage to use that tactic Mm -hmm. and that strategy that it creates an imbalance. So in actual fact, I think Azul is one of those unusual, well, not necessarily unusual, but it's one of those games where you pretty much need to play it with players of a similar experience level to you in order for the game to be balanced. And that, I think we're going to talk a lot about that upstream downstream question. Um, There's a couple of other games I've played that have this same problem. Um, Classically, I think Puerto Rico 
if you look on board game geek forums, there's a lot of people who talk about the person sitting to the left of the newest player always wins. Um, or maybe it's to the right. I've only played Puerto Rico once. Um, but I love the commentary about, you know, find the newest player and sit the right part, the right seat next to them and you'll win, right? But then I also think of a game that I particularly like, especially after a couple of beers, called Perudo, which you've probably classically seen, those of you listening at home, uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean 2. It's the it's the game they play with dice on the ship for years of service. Um, Perudo is a really interesting game because it's a bluffing game and the last person... Like it, it, when it's your turn, you can say you're a liar. You can call the bluff. If you, but, but if you're sitting next to somebody who never bluffs, you're going down real quick. And if you bluff a lot and you're sitting next to somebody who never calls a bluff, you're going to win. So, yeah, I think the question about balance, as you said, it's a weird term, right? But the question about balance is not always balance between players. It's, it's balance between what? Like balance between strategies, balance between, you know, as we're talking about here, player skill, a player depth of knowledge about the game. Um, and I agree with you. I think probably in terms of balance, the biggest issue is the upstream downstream problem. I would not want to play this game with people with a big skill delta. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the, the game itself isn't, the game itself hasn't created any one facet of its own play, right, in terms of how it's been designed, in terms of how the mechanics have been laid out, there is no immediate balance issue for the game itself. It is 100% on the application of those mechanics by various people that might, that, that tips it in any way, shape or form. The only thing that I've seen is that obviously we've now played a, a, a number of games together, uh, and you can still have a pretty substantial swing um, also based on the, 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 the tiles that come out. Yeah, and again, this will, this will come up in a moment, but either being able to starve another player yeah. in that upstream, downstream, or actually force feed yeah. as well yeah. that's that's where we in, in one of our earlier games felt a really interesting um tactical issue which again it's not driven by the mechanics of the mm-hmm. game so it didn't feel unbalanced it's just for someone who is either being starved or being overfed a particular tile type it might have felt a little bit uncomfortable at the time and uh, uh, that brings up another kind of kind of uh, you know you're saying something here about Again, balance between what? Like that's that's balance between the players and the pool in a way. I actually think the pool and the factories are a wonderful balancing yeah. mechanism. Everyone's got the same information. It's a totally open information game. Yeah. The only information we don't have is what's coming next. We'll talk about this down down the track in, in the rest of the, of the episode. But um, one of my notes around strategy, I think, was um, we had a question over whether the strategies were balanced. Like, is there a dominant strategy? And that was after that game, Mal, where you just trounced us using that strategy where you'd I'm, I call it kind of crossing the T because parts of the Caribbean ships. But anyway, no, it's just crossing the T. So you, you do one column and one row and you leave the intersecting tile free and then play it for 10 points and finish the game. Um, it's, a, it's a great closing move. For a few games after that, I felt like that strategy was so dominant that why would you try anything else? But I noticed today when we played those three games in quick succession, we were, we were actually becoming way more flexible, way more adaptable. None of us were giving up what we were doing quite so obviously as you did in that, in that game. So I'm on the fence about the balance between strategies, but I did notice when we flipped to the reverse side, there was, there is a, I think there is a balance issue between deciding to just redo the diagonals 
and have a disrupted pattern where you don't follow a diagonal line. So, I mean, again, maybe we'll talk about that later on, but um, I've, I mean, the three times I've played the reverse side, I've refused to do a diagonal pattern and every single time I've locked myself out. Obviously, that's my fault. That's not a balance issue. <laughs> that's, a, that's a, what do they call it, ID10T error or problem exists between computer and chair. Um, but, uh, yeah, to me it just feels like there are some strategies that are easier than others and you don't necessarily get payoff for the hard strategies. And just one last quick point about balance before we move on to talking about, about strategy. I haven't played is all a lot with four players, but the few times I've played it with two players, because you play with fewer factories, so you have fewer tiles out at any given time, that can have an effect of creating more of an imbalance in terms of what tiles you have access to, and it can make the game sort of harder and more punishing because mm. you can end up with a lot more of a particular colour which will, even if the other player is not trying to leave them for you, will inadvertently end up. So we ended up with a lot more negative points and, yeah. and things like that within a two-player well, game. Because they collect in the pool in the middle and then you end up with a full penalty box. Yeah. yeah. So moving on to, I guess, uh, strategy and tactics properly. Nick, you mentioned one earlier on um, this whole uh, this whole idea of, of crossing T's or, or the 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 way that I was trying to approach that at the beginning of that game, which was essentially working from a corner and then just sort of constantly building mm. on that. And so that you know you go from getting one point in a corner to then getting four to then getting six as it as it builds up along the way. There seems to have been a few interesting sort of different little bits along those sorts of lines going on. Um, do you have a, a favourite of that you tried? Uh, not really. I, uh, it's not. It's not that I had a favourite tactic that I tried. I, th- I guess to answer you question without answering your question um (laughs) what i really enjoy about the tactical space in this game is it flawlessly operates at both a strategic and a tactical level because actually when you're talking about going from the corner or crossing the t that's that's a strategy that's not a tactic you you play the round according to to that plan but ultimately you know you're you're being strategic there not tactical the tactical questions i find actually kind of brilliant because with that you know, the top line, you only need one tile to fill a, to fill a position on the mosaic. The bottom line, you need five tiles of a matching colour to, to, to fill a position on the mosaic. Um, that means your tactical decisions for the, line, the fourth and fifth line of the mosaic are much harder than your tactical decisions at the top line. But what I love about the game, as I say, is that it just continues to unfold. It's very easy to find yourself suddenly full. Um, either one line is almost full and you're in danger of finishing the game. In fact, the second time I played it, I finished the game way too early and lost um, by completing the top row. Or, you know, you might find yourself with, you know, uh, a line down the bottom that doesn't line up vertically. So, like, the kind of tactical question that's constantly confronting you is, can I afford to lose this row for for a round? Can I afford to not fill this row for a round and hope that the bag produces the colours that I need to finish it? It's very, very dangerous. Um, the other thing, again, sort of more a tactical misstep to avoid 
is you definitely don't want to have all five tiles of one color on the board until you are about to end the game because otherwise everyone's just watching and they just leave that color in the pool for you and then you're sunk and you're taking a whole pile of... So I don't know. I guess my answer to your question is, is there a tactic that I prefer? No. Are there tactics that I'm... Like tactically what I'm trying to do all the time when I'm playing this game is leave myself open flexibly open to be able to take whatever's left in that pool um, minimizing my penalties and you know if there's six tiles I need to make sure that I've got as close to six spaces for them even though you can't actually have six spaces for them um, I've lost a few games of this by taking enormous penalty rounds um, so yeah I think tactically for me the question is how do I minimize those penalties how do I play the game flexibly how do I keep my rows open to be able to take whatever's left in the pool at the end of the round and kind of counting down the turns between you and the end of the round, I think is, is essential to that. Absolutely. I, um, for me, one of the very interesting, um, strategic decisions that I'm trying to, uh, decide between is whether to, preference points scored during the game mm. so when you place the tile on the wall yeah. because you get points based on how many tiles they line up with in either direction um whether to construct your five by five to maximize the points that you get from that or because you actually then can get bonus points at the end of the game from completing horizontal rows completing vertical rows and getting five of an, a color tile on your board mm. because there are five types of tiles and five tiles of each color can be on your board um and that gives you the most bonus points do i construct and build my my wall based on during game points yeah. or based or or by trying to optimize end of game points and that was what i was trying to do mm. the first time we played the flip side so mm. the first time we played the reverse was trying to optimize those end because that seemed to me to be the easiest way to play when you don't have a set pattern mm. um and then i was also trying to do that when we played a game immediately afterwards on the regular side of the board and it didn't work as well but for me that's another really interesting tactical decision strategic decision that you have to make it's the tension point in the game right it's it's i think you i think you're right i genuinely think you're onto something it's it's kind of where it's won or lost i think the analogy for 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 you and i nick for any um uh, race for the galaxy fans is is the sort of the 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 Six point or not six point. Yeah, the six point development cards. Yeah, the yeah. development cards, which yeah. are the sorts of things which can completely flip a game yeah. because you can end up with an enormous number of points. But yeah. you, you you've got to be building towards yeah. them in some way, shape, or form, or you've got to say that's where I'm going. Yeah. I think you know you, I think you've hit on a really interesting point. The time where I had that really big win, I was going for the immediate points and happen to rack up some bonus points along the way. Yeah. Whereas, Alice, when you're talking about that variant side game that, that we played today, which you nailed, mm. like absolutely nailed, whilst playing for that big 
uh, playing for that that bonus point game. I think that that was. I think that there's a really interesting strategic element going on in there. And it's funny you bring up race actually because the three games we played today were like a perfect example of, of, of the way this builds because the, the game you played and trounced us on the, on the reverse side, you had a very clear strategy in mind and you stuck with it even to the extent of taking penalties when you didn't quote-unquote need to because there was space on your board because you knew you wanted to preserve it for more black tiles next turn. But then the game after where we were back on the normal side and I you know, doubled your score, Mal. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all right. He did that to us when he discovered crossing the T. Um, so it's, you know, all's fair in love and Azul. Um, but uh, Alice turned to me during that game and she and she looked at my board and she looked at Mal and she said, Nick's not in a position to finish the game. Do you remember that bit where she yes. pointed out that I yes. had gaps in my horizontal lines? And then the very next turn I filled all of them really quickly <laughs> <laughs> so that the turn after that I could finish the game. But what I noticed about my tableau when I was playing that game is I built it to be as flexible as possible. It had a couple of horizontal rows almost ready to go. It actually had three horizontal rows yeah. ready to go. It had two vertical rows already built and I, I had four of at least three colours. So I was there was almost nothing you guys could do to stop me really piling those points on. And the way that it had happened is I'd sort of... I realised then, actually, now I'm answering your first question, Mel. I realised during that game that the right tactic is go hard early on a couple of five, like the bottom row, because they'll tell you what's possible. If you've got a white tile with a little light blue flower and a, and a you know blue tile in the fifth row, they're your best chances for dropping five, five of each of those colours in because you can't get five colours without the bottom row and the bottom row is often a two to three round prospect to get a a tile there so you i think in a way your first round has to be fill out most of the vertical column fill out a couple of things on the bottom level and then you've got this flexible tableau that you can slot things into in order to get the really really big points so i actually i think now that we're talking about it i'm coming down on the side of points in the game aren't as important as points at the end of the game even though you need both to win yeah yeah um and i think that i also take us back a little bit to you're talking about the scenario that Alice had created for herself mm. by um, by playing for a, a particular colour set. Uh, I think that, yeah, it had been sort of closing out all of the, 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 the black yeah. tiles and then rapidly approaching all of the reds as well. Mm. Um, and and sort of the the option there to start force feeding to just try and start leaving but it was a very interesting because of the way that the tiles had come out um this notion that you could perhaps you know create a situation where alice is forced to have to start yeah. you know wearing the penalties for blacks was counteracted by the fact that i'd been starved of them yeah. for for pretty much all of the game up until the point that alice already had all all five on the board so close. and because of the, yeah. the, the because of the flow yeah. With how we were positioned in that game, where you know, where if I'm leaving things for Alice, yeah. but I by the time Alice was set, I needed them. Yeah, it, it creates like there's there's definitely some options there to to starve or, or yeah. force people to take penalties, but it becomes such an interesting element because if the tactical scenario isn't there, like if the if the way that someone's board has played out means that you know, I, like I had 
blues galore. I had yellows. I had reds galore. Yeah, I, had, I had nothing black on the board and I, I needed, so rather than being in a situation where like I, I need to try and force Alice to take penalty, I just couldn't do it. Uh, to, to remain competitive within no. the game, like the tactical decision was that that trying to trying to force someone else to take penalties at that point in time just wasn't going to work. It creates a really interesting dynamic at that yeah. point. Yeah, and I exacerbated that, that problem by taking um, Alice's table scraps essentially. Every time Alice left a, a black tile on the board, I'd snap it up, but I wasn't completing rows. So that was my idiotic decision. I shouldn't have done that. And that I think that's the upstream-downstream problem in a nutshell. Yeah. You were downstream of me. I was making it an error. I was downstream of Alice who was starving me of black tokens. So actually at that point, you and I did exactly to Alice what Alice and I did to you in that previous game. We yeah. just we, we created a board situation where she could absolutely trounce us. Um, yeah, I think... I think there's a really great tempo to the game in this regard. Like, I don't know about you guys, but often if I'm trying to fill a five row, one of the things I would do is I'll scope out the quantities of them available and try and figure out the probabilities of if the number's going to wind up in the middle or not. So you sit there going, well, I need three tokens. There's two yellows there. I need three yellow tokens. There's two yellows on that factory, two yellows on that factory, two on that factory, and one on that factory. I've got a pretty good chance of getting the two. Everyone else is also going for the three. I'm taking the one. Because the one will put me in a position where in two turns I'm flexible enough to take that those two yellows and fill my row of five yeah. rather than take the two now when there's, you know, the market, there's lots of twos, lots of pairs of yellows. The one's the dangerous one because if it goes, you're taking a penalty because you need three or five yeah. tokens. Yeah. That tempo, I love the tempo of that decision-making where you do something that looks foolish because it's such a small move but actually, it's essential to do it that way. Uh, you you have to you have to slow down the tempo, let your opponents take the things you don't necessarily want, and then and then hopefully win. So moving on, the aesthetics of this game, Alice, what do you think? Well, I think as we talked about um, at the beginning, I think the theme of this game is what has driven the aesthetics of this game and the aesthetics of this game are spot on. They're beautiful. Um, everything about the visual design of this game is perfect. Um, the the, the colours, the, the, the patterns that are used, um, it's just all really really well done it's a beautiful game to look at you want to build your wall because mm. it looks pretty um uh it was interesting i was listening to um another podcast and and one of the criticisms was um that they came up with was that they didn't like the fact that they were there were um two plain tiles in amongst all the tiles with the patterns I actually don't think that that's a valid criticism. I think yeah, I if agree. they were all patterned, it would look like a complete mess. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think if you actually went and looked at a proper mosaic, you would see that they mix plain tiles in with pattern tiles. But um, that's because I'm an aesthetics nerd. Um, <laughs> so the thing's damn pretty. Um, the components are high quality. Mm. Um, the tiles in particular... Um, have a beautiful heft and weight mm, yeah. to them. They're extremely high-quality resin. Um, they sound great um, when you clink about them in the bag. Um, and the bag itself, so this, the tiles don't just come in like a plastic bag that you have to keep them in. They actually come in a beautiful printed 
cloth bag with a ribbon drawstring um, for you to both keep them in and then draw them out of. See, don't they just sound good? Um, and the, all of the components are, are just are lovely. Um, the only criticism consistently, I think, across the board that you'll find is that most people will say that their um, individual player boards have come warped. Um, I think it's just a thing across the board. Uh -huh. um, ha ha. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Bad puns have started already. It's episode one, guys. Sorry. Um, so yeah, it would be nice if the board if if the boards lay flat. Um, but frankly, that's a tiny minor criticism. Um, even the um, insert, oh, uh, the plastic right. insert has. Um, uh, like has raised design elements on it. So, yeah, the whole package is is beautiful. And whilst the theme doesn't add to the mechanics or the gameplay, it adds, I think, significantly to the enjoyment in terms of the aesthetics. Yeah, I completely agree. And just to add to the, I think heft is exactly the right word. The components have heft. But I just want to, I've got the, I've got one of the tiles. They make such a great noise when you lay them down. Like, it's just great. Like, they're really hefty. There's a lot of kind of oomph to them. Rattling your hand around in the bag's really great. Um, I th you just nailed it, Alice. I completely agree. Um, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous game. And for someone who likes thematics, I don't even care that the game has pasted on theme. It's just, it's beautiful to look at. Again, uh, yeah, we're all in exactly the same page here. Uh, every element, every visual element of the game, uh, I'm pretty much in love with. Uh, even down to the point that the the print on the on the inner box mm -hmm. and the print on the bag is the same matching pale blue and white. Like just that that aesthetic alone for someone who is a designer. I'm sitting back going, nailed it, guys! You've absolutely nailed that element of this game. It's a high level of attention to detail in yeah. the in yeah. the product. The fact that you as, you, as you get to the start of a round, as you, you're sort of getting into the beginning of that collection phase and you've got all of the tiles laid out on the factories and you've basically created a little bit of a sea of colour on the table that you're playing on, it's magic. Mm. Like it's absolutely magic. I, I cannot praise the aesthetics of this game enough. I... I I still have an issue with cardboard being warped. I think that it's a thing that, that you know, game manufacturers could probably pay a little bit more attention to. Um, I don't know if it's a thing in the manufacturing process, if it's where it's being produced, like we were talking about it earlier. Perhaps it's a humidity issue, whatever. Um, it'd be great if they weren't coming out slightly warped because it means that you're forever having issues sort of sliding things around. Um, I, I see that you could potentially do like a, you know, there's the there's the possibility of a deluxe version where you could actually have sections cut out for people to be able to place tiles because it, because of that issue we were talking about with you know one bump of the on the table mm. can send tiles everywhere mm. and you could literally lose game state just by someone accidentally bumping the table. I think that you know there could maybe be uh, a subtle redesign with an indent version and that might be something 
pretty special. You know, just everything lines up. It, it's it's taking the uh, the idea of of tiles being mosaic with perfect spaces in between them to to the to the next level. And I'm also talking about this as being something which is purely unnecessary <laughs> for the game. It's only like the one maybe little detail that you could like you could totally try this thing and it'd be awesome. You want a visual representation of the grout between the tiles, <laughs> don't you? Yes. Yes I do. Yeah. Um and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I am okay with wanting that. But otherwise the the player board's beautiful. Yeah. Um and and the layout of that player board is beautiful as well, right? At no point in time do you find yourself going, I don't understand what's going, I don't understand my game state. It's all right there beautifully in front of you. Score at the top, patterns down the left, your wall down the right. Got it. Even down in the choice of colours of the tiles, it's really easy to get a sense, even on the flip side where you're trying to make your own pattern, it's really easy to get a sense of if you're screwed up because the colours they picked just... They, Despite the fact that they're yeah. not all hugely conflicting colours no. and some of them are... So you've got red in a couple of different elements, you've got mm. blue in a number of different elements, but they harmonise but also are distinct. Mm. It's very clever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a really good uh, alignment and contrast in colour selection. It's fantastic. Finally, uh, enjoyment and replayability of this game. I think you'll find that it's been mentioned a couple of times already. I love it. Yeah, absolutely love this game. Um, I, when I first played it, when I first saw people playing it, I was a bit concerned about the replayability of it. I was looking at it going, eh, look, it looks, it looks beautiful, but from what I'm seeing, what I'm observing... I have no idea how many times you're going to be able to play this game before you sit back and go, yep, got it, whatever. Uh, I stand corrected and very happily so. Um, if if Azul is on offer, I'm going to say yes, yeah, in terms of playing this game and we'll happily play it again and again and again. Alice? Um, I agree. I love this game although it's interesting how I think as we talked about before how our playing of this game has evolved considerably mm. um, I think there are definitely two levels of play of this game um, there is the base level which is a set collection tile placement pattern point decision game um, where you don't really pay that much attention to what everyone else is doing. You can, you can, if everyone's doing it, you can play this in very much in a sort of a, a multiplayer solitaire kind of mode. Yeah. And I think that's how people play it when they first learn it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think if, if you have a group of people who are playing it all that way, then, then that works. That can work quite well. It can work on that level. And then as we've discovered, you then sort of step up to this next almost meta level where you're constantly thinking about what do I need to get these points to do this thing? And then you're looking at the player downstream from you and going, what do they need mm. and how do I stop them getting it? But how can I, can I do that? in a way that doesn't is more of a detriment to them than it is to me and is that mm. worth it? 
Um, which tile do I take tiles off? You know, this one or this one or this one or out of the middle or you know. So it becomes extremely tactical. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really interesting level to be able to play the game at. Um, I would have to say that as much as we've praised this game and as much as I love playing the regular game, I probably wouldn't play the reverse flip side blank wall purely because it is so much easier to just play a different colour variant of diagonals as it appears on the front wall just simply because you're talking about a five by five grid where you are restricted and can have no more than one colour tile in any row or column at the same time. And there's there's only one way to do that optimally and that's diagonals. So it's so much easier to then be able to, if you're doing diagonals, to then focus on all of those other tactics than if you're trying to keep track of where all of your tiles are and how they relate to each other. So I think that's a less enjoyable version of the game. You, I think you would have to change the rules to make that more enjoyable. Um, and I probably wouldn't play that because I just think it's limited. So unless you put a blanket rule on you're not allowed to play diagonals and then everyone's mm. playing in the same way, um, I think that could be interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure we would enjoy it as much feel, just yeah. because it's so hard. I feel a little bit like, uh, I don't know, I've got nothing to base this on, but I feel a little bit like non-diagonal play in the harder version of the game might have a, a bigger payoff once you know how to do it. But actually that that's my problem. I think it's my problem with Azul. I loved the first few times we played it. I'm still pretty happy to say yes to a game or two of it. Um, but I've start, I must have been, I've sort of started to dread playing it a little bit. It's not just fun it's a complete brain burner and it's a brain burner where you're trying to do four things at once and each of those four things requires a radically different skill set you're trying to um, read the tactical situation and the factories and the pool in the middle you're trying to consider the strategic situation of am i going for a one two three four or five point tile you're trying to read the other players which is impossibly difficult and you're trying to set yourself up for the random elements of the next draw out of the bag. So to me, that's just too much. Like it's just way <laughs> too much that's going on. So I've sort of started to dread playing a little bit because it just feels to me like the stakes are just too high. It's like well, if I let any one of those things drop, as we've discussed, if any one of those things drop, you lose. <laughs> and you lose a lot. <laughs> like it's It becomes a 90-point plus 50-point game, that kind of loss. And for me, that just feels... It's just too much. There's too much going on. Even if I think it's a brilliant design with a couple of small flaws, even if I think it's aesthetically utterly gorgeous, um, it's just, I don't know. I think I actually prefer the second version of this, the Stained Glass of Sintra. We haven't played that as much, so maybe I'll find it's got the same murky depths as this one. But, I mean, to me, part of the problem with Azul is it feels a little bit like trying to solve a puzzle during an earthquake in the middle of a paintball game. It's <laughs> very colourful intellectually violent <laughs> and really hard to keep track of everything. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a spectacular summary. That is a spectacular summary. That's amazing. Um, and I think that's probably about the point at which we're gonna, going to finish because uh, I don't know if anyone is going to be able to top that. Guys, uh, Nick, Alice, thank you both for not 
only absolutely trouncing me all day today. <laughs> uh, but for your thoughts on Azul as well. Thanks, Malcolm. Thank you. And that's it for our episode on Azul and our first game-focused episode as well. We'll be back in a month with our discussion on another stunning game, Everdell. In the meantime, check the show notes for links to more information on Azul, as well as all our social media accounts. If you enjoyed this episode of Is It My Turn, please head over to iTunes or wherever you source your podcasts to subscribe, share, or leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening. Let's play again soon.